y'all. Welcome to 2024. You have suffered through another year of rolling dice and taking names. And on this first episode of 2024, the guys will review Prime Minister, Sancor, and Ghost of Christmas. As a New Year's resolution, let's see if we can make it through another year together. Hello, and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names in the first episode of 2024, 311. Wow, that makes it sound like it's like the name of the episode. or the, it's, it's, it's numbered 311. The title of the episode is Let's Start the New Year Right, which we are obviously not. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Yeah, the enthusiasm's not there. The, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm enthused. You're enthused? I tell you what, it was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle over the holidays. Too much going on, even with the break. I'm like, am I, people get out my house. He had a lot of uh, family over, eh? Yeah, I had a lot of family over. Now I got to get the decorations down. You know, it's that it's that ebb and flow of the holidays. You know, you you've got the hype, the build, the and all that's going on, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. It's kind of like go ahead and whamageddon me. Let me, I'm out of this, and now we got to tear it all down and go for the next 300 plus days till we start the ebb and flow again. Speaking of Whamageddon. Yes. Uh, this is the first year I have not made it through and I was knocked out on Christmas Eve. How? I was sitting outside with my dad and sons. We're having a nice cigar and there was a neighbor down the street having a little kids party and they decided to put on some music and I could barely hear it. And it was like, what, what is that? And I, w- I was stupid enough to pay attention mm. and it was like, holy crap. It's last Christmas. And boom, mm. I was out. You're gone. If I would just ignored it and just like not even try to figure out what it was, but nope. Well, mine was, as we saw over on our Discord channel, mine was fairly straightforward. We went to the Christmas town here in Charlotte, North Carolina area called McCaddenville, walked, saw the lights. No last Christmas. None of that was playing there. You, even though there was Christmas music all over, never got had a chance to get knocked out there. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> Scott free. Let's go get something to eat. Hey, there's this nice little Mexican restaurant right down the street. Let's go do that. Walk in, third song played. I'm like, what in the world is this? Oh, my heavens. How, I did not <laughs> expect that to happen to me. So what we're going to do next year in our Discord channel is we're going to do reverse Whamageddon, where you actually earn points by hearing it. So no more trying to dodge events and stores and stuff. It's one of those things, if you just happen to hear it, you'll record points. And the person with the most points at the end of uh, December will win. Mm. Okay, we can do that. I also like the one about the zombie side one where once you get knocked out, you put make it a ringtone on your phone. Oh, that's that's just mean. I know. I know it is. And But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, but nobody ever calls me. So it's not like it would ever ring. Right. So, so that's the slim chance that I would take anybody out by having that ringtone. Yep, it's over. So let's start the new year, right? Before we get in, into the new year, did you get anything uh, cool for Christmas or play anything fun over Christmas? Uh, let's see. What did we do? Did I get anything? No, I'm at the age now where Santa doesn't come visit me. He's like, you got okay. everything you need. I'm like, you're absolutely right, Santa. Go go to someone else's house who needs it more. Then from the standpoint as to what did we play, I did get Charioteer on the table from GMT Games. How did it go over? It went over very well. I felt like it was not uh, my uh, son-in-law's game. He felt kind of, I think he was kind of bored with it. Oh, 
because there wasn't, you know, it was just playing cards. It really was matching. Mm -hmm. He's like, where's the strategy in this? I understand your point because it's really about how do you stack up your cards to maybe take the lead? Because I was in the lead the whole time and then got left in the dust because my card suddenly turned on me. Okay. Mm -hmm. We only did two laps. Uh, that was as far as we go. And the fan favorite, you know, when you match six symbols, you can pull out the fan favorite. Yes. Uh, we didn't use that in lap one because I wanted them to get the flow. Now, now my mother-in-law, who's uh, close to, you know, 70 years old, she was playing. She, it took her a little while to get the process and understand, but she even understood the game. So that should tell you the, you know, what this game can bring to the table for everyone. It's not a mm -hmm. hard game. And I, I told him, I said, this, this game surprises me by GMT. Uh, because of its uh, theme, simplicity, or what? Simplicity. You know, you're used to mm -hmm. GMT. I said, I looked at him, I said, you know, this is the game where we, you and I played Hitler's Reich. You and I and he, he and I played it one time. And I'm like, this is one of their games, and you wouldn't expect that from them. What about you? Did you get one? I got another one on, but I'll kick it over to you. I wish we could have played Charioteer. I still want to play that again. In fact, our game group wants to play it again. So we still need to get back that up back on the table. But moving on. So the only th thing that I played was I took a game to my parents on Christmas because everybody expects me to bring a little game. So I took um, a game we've already talked about, Ensemble, uh, which is from Aries Games. Mm -hmm. Plays up to eight, eight or nine players. I can't, I can't remember how many it is. But it's the game where you – it's kind of like uh, Co-op Dixit. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple picture cards out on the table and every, and then there's a third card that's put out and you're trying to decide, okay, which one of the two cards here most matches the third card. And everybody secretly picks card one or two from my hand of cards and they flip them over. If everybody picks the same one, we advance to the next level. The next level just adds another card. If you fail, you lose a life. If you lose all your life, the game's over. But your goal is, is to get to the end of the game, which is you're going to have nine cards out on the table and you have to pick one of the nine cards that matches the clue card. Okay. And if you do, you actually win the game. Our first game, we got annihilated, but our second game, we actually made it all the way through and did all nine cards. So it was, it was cool. I, I enjoy the game. It's a, it's a good, big group game. Okay. Um, eight, eight people. That sounds like it. I mean, from the standpoint, you need something like that to keep everybody involved. Yes. And the teach is literally, you just put it out and play. Like, here, I'm going to give everybody cards. There's two cards on the table. Which one of these two cards matches the other one? And then we do that, and I tell them the consequences. Mm -hmm. Hey, we all match. Something happens. Hey, we didn't match. Here's what happens. And people pick it up instantly. Uh, we got Santa's Workshop on the table, the standard side or the normal side of the board, not the advanced rules board. Mm -hmm. Played that, and it, it was definitely easier to play. Not as much resource management, but it, once again, 70 plus year old mother-in-law, she understand the game, understood what was going on. And it was, um, the, the challenge in this one, of course, is as people fill up the various, uh, workshop areas, you're giving them victory points, but you're getting more resources. So it's kind of a weight game. And at five players, this was great because there were only four slots in the various workshops and you're sitting there waiting for somebody to go to a specific workshop so that you can say, Hey, I really need three metal this turn. I need someone to go ahead and place theirs here Would someone please hurry up and place their, um, elf in that workshop you know i'll give you a victory point i just need that extra metal so that's what the uh, other side of the board brought you don't have your own little christmas tree you're just randomly grabbing ornaments and it's a lot shorter game you're only playing um two rounds before the christmas eve comes yep everybody enjoyed that they wanted to try if they get a chance maybe try the advanced side of it later mm -hmm. to see how that um, plays out 
but still solid, very uh, simplistic, which is great. Uh, worker placement game, intro worker placement game. Even Rebecca, my daughter said, you know what, this, this is right up there with um, as far as pillars of the earth, as far as understanding. But she said, there is no complexity to it. I said, okay. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, there's definitely no complexity like pillars of the earth. She goes, yeah, but place, place a person. I go, well, what about having to pay in pillars of the earth and making that decision? She goes, oh yeah, that too. And I said, what about when you have to manage the people and give up certain, oh yeah, that too. Never mind. I said, okay. So is Santa's workshop a keeper to bring out around the holidays each year? I think so. I think it'll, 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 that ebb and flow, get the spirit going. Everybody say, oh, here's a, but once again, simple worker placement. We were done in under 30, 30, no, 40 minutes on the easy board with five people. Wow. Oh, and a real quick shout out to Willie Williams. Uh, he was my secret Santa over there on our Discord channel, and we do that every year. And one of the, he sent us uh, Mist over Carcassonne, I believe that's the correct name. Donna, we still haven't gotten it to the table just from scheduling, but she wants to really play that. However, he sent something else from Saratoga, New York. It's called a Peppermint Pig. Uh, it's from the Saratoga candy company. And this is, they've been doing this for over a hundred years. And basically you get a peppermint pig. It's a big old pig that you put in the pouch and you hit it with a hammer to break it. And it's a big old peppermint stick. That's really all it is. So we did that on uh, Christmas Eve. We had some friends over to do fondue, put the pig in the pouch and we were hitting it with the hammer and it took a lot to break that pig up, but it was very good. Thanks, Willie. That was entertainment. That was a game in itself. Keeping, I almost screwed up. I almost took the peppermint pig out of the um, plastic thing that was around it. And then I would have uh-huh. had peppermint shards flying everywhere. And that would have been a bad thing. That would not have been good. So I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Chris and Angel who uh, sent us a little gift. Uh, they sent us a, uh, me and Vanessa, a flower sack towel that had a nutcracker on it. So if there's this whole story, it was really cool. The towel has a story about how uh, in the early 1900s, people would take used flour sacks and then cut them up and then bleach them and make them good towels for drying mm-hmm. dishes and stuff like that. So that's where this was from. I think he said he got it from uh, Rhode Island and has a nice picture of a nutcracker on the front, which Vanessa is a huge fan of nutcrackers. And Vanessa just went gaga over it. She loved it. She thought the nutcracker was great. So she put it out and she said, this would be great for di- drying uh, dishes and stuff. So we was washing some dishes and I went to pick it up. So you're saying I can use this? And she said, no, you can't use that. That's wow. a decorative towel. You need to pick up something else. I still didn't get to use it. I'm so tired of sitting around stuff. I, I'm, you know, I've, <laughs> I've got, I've got boxes now labeled Goodwill, and I'm carrying stuff. As I find it, I'm like, we haven't used it. It's in the Goodwill. But back to Chris and Angel, I want to give them a big shout out too. They sent a light bright to me, a little mini light bright. What? Are you serious? Yeah, because, you know, when we were talking about in our toy, uh-huh. the toy show, uh, oh, God, what is uh, it? The Hall of Fame. The Hall toy. of Fame. Yeah, Strom, uh, yeah, Hall of Fame. I said I never had a light bright. I now have a light bright. A working light bright? A mini working light bright. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's got these little patterns to it. You got a little LED light in there. You put some AA batteries in it, and you put it, and you plug it in. You get this mini, mini, mini light bright. Well, do you actually put the pegs yes. in through a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. So they sent little scraps of paper to put in it? Well, it's got little scraps of paper in it. So it was really cool. Wow. So I played with that. And now once you, you know, to me, that's a one and done. So I played with it for a while. And then my 27-year-old niece looked at it and said, uh, Uncle Tony, um, can can I borrow that? And I said, of course. What? No, that'd be, that'd be something I sit there on the desk at work and play with. 
I don't have a desk anymore, so that's useless to me. But yeah, so An- oh. Chris, Angel, thank you so much. Hope y'all had a wonderful one. So let's let's yeah. let's, let's get once again. Let's move past the holidays. Okay. There are a couple big conventions that I know we're going to be at one and hopefully we'll be at another one this year. The first one we're going to talk about is a new convention in Atlanta, Georgia called Dyson Diversions. Now, Dyson Diversions is ran by the same people that run the Southern Fried Gaming Expo, which happens every July in Atlanta, which I'm a huge fan of. And I go every year and been for many years. We typically are guests there. Well, they reached out and said, hey, we would like you guys to be guests at our inaugural Dyson Diversions convention, which is basically a tabletop only convention. So no video games, no arcade games. It is strictly board games, role playing games, miniature games, card games, etc. And this is going to be in Hilton, Atlanta, Northeast, which is a little outside of Atlanta, which I am a fan of because it's a little bit easier to get to there than where they typically have the Southern Fried Gaming Expo. And this event is going to be from January 12th through January 15th. So it's going to start on a Thursday, go through a Sunday. I do have a room at the Hilton Atlanta Northeast. I'm hoping to be able to go. I'm hoping, Tony, that you're checking your calendar, see if you can go. And if we can, what we're going to do is we're going to set up maybe an event, maybe a learn to play or play with or something like that. At the convention, they already have schedules out for a lot of other events they're doing. They do play to wins, et cetera, like that. So they run an amazing event at Southern Fried Gaming Expo. So I can't wait to see how they're going to do a tabletop focused only convention. That'll be interesting. I hope I can make it too. I'm checking the calendar. I know I'm got some challenges coming up on the 11th so we'll see what we can do about that from the standpoint of making it down there and also we have another one following up from that two weeks later and that Mm -hmm. is in our own hometown makes it easy for me tantrum con yay they are back in uptown charlotte not out at near the airport. So they're going to be able to really leverage the city, leverage the food that's in uptown, tons of restaurants, tons of stuff to do at night. There's even a duck pen bowling area, uh, laying near them. I hope it stays open from that time. So we can maybe get a group to go duck pen bowling. I doubt it. I'd rather go ax throwing. You're just asking to lose something. That's all there is to it. What? I, I, that's more. It's. I'd rather go real bowling than duck pin bowling. Have you ever been duck pin bowling? No, it's just miniature bowling. It's a lot harder for for you know. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to be challenged, but yes, uh, t- tantrum cons coming. We'll have our special event, of course, strike in the moon by eating t- contest. Yeah, well, for those who don't know what that is, each year we have a special event where we have a moon pie eating contest, but to be able to participate in the moon pie eating contest, we have a strike tournament. Now, we do this at Gen Con, where we run a strike uh, tournament. We have West where we name our champion of the year, the name of the year, uh, Dice in a Bowl, Gladiators in the Arena, et cetera. But here, this uh, what's going to happen is, is uh, select winners of strike will compete in a mini moon pie eating contest, and whoever can eat the most amount of moon pies in a certain amount of time will win some prizes that will be given by us and some uh, publishers that will be at the event. There's some you know, special guests showing up, Daryl Andrews, board game designer, Danielle Reynolds, board game designer, Scott Brady, board game designer, Grant Lyon, board game comedian, when you know all these people. And Please do not let this discourage you from showing up. Even Stephen Bonacore has coming. Oh, man. Oh, it was a class act, but now. (laughs) 
In fact, I guess I'll have to reach out to them and say, hey, block Saturday night at 7 p.m. That's when our event's going to be Saturday night, 7 p.m. And uh, it's going to be free to attend, I believe. I believe it's free to attend. It's only going to be like an hour or so yeah. long. So it'd be fun to hang out. Uh, we have fun uh, doing this every year. The event is going to be January 25th to January 28th, Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm not sure if there's any rooms left, Tony. I think a lot of the rooms may be gone at the host hotel, La Meridian, Charlotte, uh, which is uh, right within kind of the beltway of downtown Charlotte. So there will be a lot to do. Hopefully the weather will be nice and you can get out and maybe walk around and see some things. Oh, yep. You're right. It's out. The The hotel is booked solid, but there are plenty of nice hotels in downtown Charlotte. Easy within walking distance of that area. And if you have any questions, by all, jump over on our Discord channel. Marty and I will be happy to answer or the Tantrum House Discord channel. They've got plenty uh, people that can answer your questions, but Marty and I can be happy to help you out. Man, where this is located, there's, yeah, it's just outside the Beltway. There's some hotels, some really nice areas over there. Shoot. You know, what's what's an Uber to people if you want to stay in the uptown area and stay near where the Panthers ball field or anything like that? Hopefully, I don't... Oh, the Panthers are out. There's no chance any ball games are being played at Panthers oh, Stadium. Yeah, no. Nothing no, so. no way. We do have the basketball arena. I mean, maybe check out a basketball game. I'm not sure if the Hornets are in town at that time. They're not too far away from there. But you can easily Uber everywhere and a lot of amazing restaurants in downtown area now. A lot of great bars if you're into the bar life. You're not too far from a place called South End, uh, which has a lot of nice bars, et cetera. That's right. So be sure if you got time on your calendar, check it out into January for our Tantrum Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Dyson Diversions in the middle of January in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, one more thing before we uh, get on to some games we want to talk about. Uh, Tony, you and I like to play a Codenames Live with our good buddy Tim, who runs a weekly event where he has guests on to play against each other. It's basically teams of two playing Codenames against each other. And we were in this recent season's finale of the show and actually got to play against some Come to find out some very famous people. Yes, we did. We got to, I got to geek out with Kevin Sussman. Most of you know him from being Stewart on Big Bang Theory. And he brought somebody to play along, which was Liam McIntyre, uh, which is, he was from the Spartacus show. He's done a lot of voice work and video games. Uh, he was in a very recent holiday movie mm-hmm. on a Great American Family Channel, mm-hmm. which he was promoting at the time that we did the show. And due to... A video game studio, Insomniac, being hacked. Insomniac's the studio that does Spider-Man video games. It was hacked and released that Liam is going to be voicing Wolverine in their upcoming game from Insomniac, which is going to be a huge title uh, coming up. uh, Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So if you like the Spider-Man series, imagine uh, probably a more, probably, I bet it's more and more R-rated type series with Wolverine as the main playable character voiced by our now friend, Liam, who is really into board games, as in the process of designing a board game, and we'd love to have him on the show in the future. Yeah, hopefully he can find time for us. I mean, it, I mean you know, he, he, he can always kick um, Joe Maganello off, you know, our b- good buddy from, he, Joe's never gotten back to us, has he? I know. <laughs> no. 
we rubbed shoulders. Okay, we didn't rub shoulders. My shoulders rubbed his chest one time because Dai is super tall. <laughs> but uh, that one time, that was pretty much about it. So anyway, that was an, a, a lot of fun hanging out uh, with Tim. Make sure to check out his channel, Codenames Live, over on Twitch. He does weekly shows there. He said, hey, you guys want to come back next season? Of course we do. It's always a great time. Uh, he runs a great event, and um, we always love supporting the guy. So let's get over to some games, shall we? Because we got a lot to cover. Whew, it's going to be a long one, y'all. Hopefully you made a stop over at shopportalgames.com and got to see the little Santa hat on top of the logo. That's so cute. I mean, they, they're decorating their web page, making it all special for the holiday season. But they also release new free scenarios. For instance, over there, Imperial Miners Christmas Gift. You have a new scenario that you can download and play for free if you happen to get the, if you want to do the solo scenario. But you're like, but, but Tony, I don't have Imperial Miners. And then I'll say, well, what is your problem? Because over at Shop Portal Games, you can definitely pick it up. I mean, Imperial Miners for $39, and you still get the bonus card that comes with it. Detective, a modern crime board game. I already talked about all of his family. You're looking around saying, man, what are we going to do? We're, we're, we're having that sugar crash right now. We need to engage everybody here at the house. Make them be energetic or at least talk any of the detective series the batman series we know ignacy's out there he's working hard on that kind of keep that going then of course my favorite nothing says the holidays like despair crushing defeat like robinson crusoe break that game out if you didn't get a chance over the holidays to you know bring everybody's soul to the bottom robinson can do that for you but you'll, you'll never get off the island amazing prices over at shopportalgames.com can't wait to see what Ignacy's got planned for 2024 and continues as he drops those little special solos for his various games that are you can download for free. If you've been listening to this show for a while, then you know that I've kind of gotten into some GMT games, especially on the P500s of pre-ordering games I was interested in. And every once in a while, one shows up that I wasn't expecting, or I may hear about one that I didn't even know about, which is the case with the game we're getting ready to play, Prime Minister. So I didn't know much about this game, Tony, but people started getting it uh, from GMT. And I was talking about the experiences they had of it being very much a player interactive game, a very social game. It's not a Euro game. It's not a Meritrash. It's kind of its own thing. So I was very intrigued and GMT still had the P500 price up on their site. So I grabbed a copy and then about a month before we played, I started, all right, guys, let's find a Saturday or Sunday. Let's get together and let's uh, try this game out. You slightly have gotten into, dude, you are at the precipice of the edge of the Grand Canyon, not at the lower, but the upper rim. And you have taken the step off. You have taken that plunge into the abyss. And you are all into these GMT. And unfortunately, as always, you are in my wallet. So now I am doing these GMT games. But I've, I've always liked the theme. And, but when you pitch this one, I'm just like, all right. So I'm not having to deal with a whole bunch of little chits on the board. I'm not having to calculate big maps. There's no fog of war or anything like that. It's easy to track. I'm not having to do a whole bunch of tracking over to this side. When I was looking at it, I was like, this, this does look like an interesting game. And I also liked what it was themed on. 
you know, early England government. And I'm like, yeah, I want to play this. I want to give this a try. And especially, you know, the time frame, you know, I always have that two hour rule, but I was going to allow this one, you know, I was going to go for it and see how, (laughs) how it played out. And, and, and we did, we got to play it and it was, it was, it was an experience. It plays one to four players. GMT says two to three hours in our first game. We probably played between three and three and a half hours, but the first part of the game was a lot of rule reading to make sure we had everything right. But once we got into the groove, I can totally see, even with four players, if you know what you're doing, this is a two to three hour game. Yeah, easily. First off, it's not a lot of going back and referencing the rules if you get it on the table a lot of times. I mean, it is straightforward. Everything is right there in front of you, which makes it even easier. Now, you may have to reference some clarifications when some nuances come up like during the election phase and we'll talk about all this or you know when something happens and it's like oh now how do we handle this because i would hate for a 60 plus page rule book not to be used at some point during the game now to be fair that is scary but only 23 or 24 pages are the actual rules themselves double column it is double column It is double column. GMT font. (laughs) That that is fair. But the rest of the rule book is made up of scenarios and example of uh, gameplay. So they're very thorough uh, in their rules and how this works. And just let me give you the bowler plate description of this game. In Prime Minister, one to four players vie for political power and prestige by campaigning for public support, selecting and debating bills, pursuing official appointments, recruiting influential Victorians as supporters, garnering favor with the queen, and when the time is right, challenging others to their leadership roles. Gameplay is partly cooperative with shifting alliances, but only one player can win by holding the prime minister's seat at the game's end. So that first sentence sounds, oh my gosh, boring, boring, voting on bills. But when it got to the whole thing of it's semi-cooperative, shifting alliances and stuff. That's where it kind of intrigued me. Mm -hmm. And and there's really no, I mean, they say debate of bills. There's not really any debate because you're, you're working with your fellow constituents to try to see how to best gain victory points and pass certain bills and, and how can it best help your party? Like, Hey, Marty, you know, we're, we're the opposition. What are you thinking about? Um, how do you think we should go about playing this? And, and, you know, that's the, it's not a big physical debate. It's not like I'm standing in front of the lectern. Oh, and then, no, 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 no. And, yeah, no. Pro- and, and I just want people when they read that to not realize that you're going, you've got a lot of this, um, back and forth before that kicks in. There's not that much to the big debate. It's pick a few cards, you know, the debate cards that are chosen as bills to be passed by the prime minister were actual bills, which is really interesting to read. We we got a a kick out of some of these that uh, were being discussed and everything. But the subject of the bill makes no difference whatsoever. It's basically, if the government passes their bills, whoever is in power is going to get victory points. The opposition opposition may want to try to make sure those bills fail. And it's all a mathematical thing. But when setting the game up, everybody is dealt a politician card, a random politician card. And we play with four players. And how this needs to be set up is there's going to be two for the Liberal Party and two for the Conservative Party. The Liberal Party starts in power. So they start uh, as as the government is what it's referenced to in the rule book. 
So in that party, one person is assigned a prime minister based on the card. It's like an initiative on the card determines who sets up as prime minister. And in the other party, there's an opposition leader. And the other two people are called backbenchers. They're the ones kind of supporting the party, but they don't have as many actions as they can do on their turn. Everything is kind of driven through the leaders of the party, the prime minister and the opposition leader. But as the backbenchers or the supporting cast, you are trying to ride the coattails of the leaders Mm -hmm. to help you position yourself for later in the game. That is what you're doing as a backbencher. So don't think you're just going to sit there and really do nothing. No, 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 no. You're going to be scheming in, in the back halls. In, in you're, you're going to have your sidebar meetings going on while you're doing this, trying to figure out how to best one another. And it's, it's one of these games, as Marty was talking about this, the, the bills. You know, you're like, oh, you're just going to put a card in. Actually, this was one of my biggest positives about this game. Actual bills from that time period. I really enjoy people from that time period. It was so, it puts you in that mode of what they were having to deal with. I mean, for example, I do not want kids being chimney sweeps anymore. We passed that bill. We We did did. pass that. That's the one we did. I don't think we passed the one where kids couldn't work in mines anymore though. That one may have failed. No, that one failed because it was not beneficial to our party. In other words, <laughs> it did not allow us to gain victory points and it allowed us to get the poor prime minister out of office. And we were joking about that, but it's one of those things where it's kind of like, that's the debate that you're having as to why do we want to pass? But we had fun. We would interject some things. Oh man, yeah, well, the kids won't get stuck like the adults with their chimney sweep. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't want them to have soot all that going home. And you know, we had fun from that standpoint, but that is fun. And there's not tons of flavor text. For those who's listening to the show, no, I do not do a ton of flavor text. They brought some of that theme to the game that, you know, at first for a portion of the game, it'd be like, yeah, here's some cards, figure out how to, how to deal with them. Right. And at the very beginning of the game, if there are no bills on the board, that's the first thing the prime minister gets to do. The prime minister does a lot in this. The first thing that uh, they're going to do is choose three bills. Each person sitting at the table that's not the prime minister draws two bills and there's uh, two different bills always active. There's the cross party bills, which are bills that both sides are most likely to agree on. And then there is whoever is in power. So at the time, at the start of the game, the liberals are in power. So it's liberal bills. As the opposition, when we started the game, Tony, you and I were opposition. Our only option, we only wanted to take the cross-party bills because that's the only things we knew that we were going to be interested in and possibly getting victory points for. So we would take two cross-party bills uh, each. And at the start of the game, I think the backbencher for the government also picked cross-party bills. We each pick one, give them to the prime minister. He draws three, and from that six... He puts three into play that's going to be voted on over the next three rounds because each round you're going to vote on one of those bills. In the early game, and Marty, you know, the pact, we're all, as we gain victory points, we're all moving this track up. And I don't think you mentioned that we play to 100 victory points, Mm -hmm. right? How How do you win the game? You play to 100 victory points and whoever is prime minister at win that your cube hits 100, then that person is the winner. So during the game, there's only one cube tracking victory points until there's a split. 
And then there can be another split. And that's where the game gets really interesting. Right. You're sitting there trying to say, okay, how, to my point, how do you ride the coattails to help drive things up? That's the flow of the first, you know, hour of the game, in my opinion, of, of how you're sitting there trying to make this government work to everybody's benefit, but as eventually so that I can win. Everybody, like you said, at the very beginning game, there's a thing called a pact card. We're all working together and we're trying to get bills across. And whenever bills cross, because we're in that pact, everybody at the table is getting victory points. And we're all represented by this one particular cube, which happens to be the player color of the prime minister. Like you said, at some point in time, the opposition leader, when it's their turn, they can just say, you know what? That's it. The pact is now dissolved. When that happens... The cube of the opposition leader, the color of their cube, is put on the victory point marker where the current prime minister is. At that point, the government party, whoever's in charge, and the opposition party, their victory points are tracked differently. So at this point is typically when when the government passes a bills, who's ever in charge, the government gets the victory points. But if the opposition party can stop them from passing, the opposition party gets victory points. So that's where you start splitting apart from victory points between the two different parties. And that turn is very important uh, when it happens uh, in the game. Because early on, we've got these three bills out there. And at the beginning of the turn, depending on what you are, you're going to get action cubes that you can spend during your turn to take certain actions. The two leaders of the party, prime minister and opposition leader, are going to get more cubes they can do things with. The backbenchers get less cubes, but over the course of the game, they can open up these roles. They can try to achieve these certain roles, which gives them potentially additional actions they can do with those cubes. So you start out as a backbencher, Tony. You were very limited what you could do on your turn. Yeah, I only had one cube. I mean, and it depends. I, you know, as a backbencher, I could probably, if I wanted to, I could debate, which, you know, helps pass a bill or hurts a bill, whatever I wanted to do. And it was like, or I could go get a supporter, which is basically drawing a card that gives you special abilities. Hobnob. Hobnob. That was the action of that one. Hobnobbing is when you draw a supporter card. Yep. So another thing I enjoyed about the game is that my politician, he has four traits. And those traits, they have to match up to the traits on the card. If they don't match, I can't do that particular trait. So for instance, I did not have the ability to campaign as my politician. He could not do that. Even though I had the capability, a card to do that as a backbencher, I could not do that. And I really like this about the game because this brings a ton of replayability into this game. A whole lot of dynamics that are going to happen depending on which politicians are in play because certain actions are going to be limited. So I, I like that. And you have to build on the strengths of the of the politician that you have. Yep. Okay. I, I'm done talking about what I like. Continue with your diatribe on rules. I like well, so what I was going to say is, is, as far as player turns, I mean, one thing I like about this is player actions are super, super simple. For example, Tony, you were the only one at the table that had a politician that could flatter. And you could just mm-hmm. say, on my turn, I'm going to spend a cube and flatter, which means move your cube up on favor with the queen. Why would you want to do that? Because during the course of the game, there are some cards that may come into play that may say, hey, whoever has favor with the queen right now gets something, possibly even control of the government, depending on a card that comes up during uh, the election phase. Favor with the queen also breaks ties, which Tony actually helped you win the game, which we'll talk about at the end mm-hmm. because 
you were the only one that could garner that favor unless you happen to draw a maybe a supporter card that could get you favor. Um, but other than that, none of else, else could do it. So that's a very simple action. Debate's really straightforward. When a bill goes into play, you automatically determine how many how many votes does it have. If it's one of those where, hey, all of the current government party supports it, there's a nice little table on the board that tells you the makeup of the government, the number of seats that the government controls, how many of those are moderates, how many are partisans. If everybody's going to vote for it, you just look at the total number at the beginning of the game, it's 330. This bill supported by everybody starts, starts at a marker with 330 on it. When you debate, you move that marker up or down by typically 10 points. There are some that are a little bit more powerful, but you can, hey, I want to make sure it passes. I'm going to move it up and give additional support up to 340, or no, I don't want it to pass. I'm going to drive it from 330 down to 320, and you need 330 votes to even pass. So the debate, straightforward. Flattery, straightforward. Hobnob, draw a card, piece of cake. Campaign, eventually there's going to be an election. What you want to do is get the most popularity that you can for your party to try to win election. There is a portion of the board that has these different sectors, like Scotland, Gentry, farmers, etc. You can campaign in certain areas based on the politician that you have. You just simply take your cube that marks your party and move it up. And over on the popularity board, you track the difference between you and the other party and whoever's in the lead uh, is tracked on the board to show, okay, they're up by 10, up by 20, etc., which will help in the election. So that's pretty much the entire action selection that you have. It's that easy. And player turns are really fast if you know what you're going to do. Very important as to who gets to do and what progression. The um, backbencher to the prime minister goes, then like, you, you know, the opposition leader, then the opposition backbencher, and then the prime minister goes, which was another thing I liked. The prime minister could sit there and, and really get strategy based on what people were doing. He, it also could hurt or limit what he needed to do. So you could do actions that would hurt the prime minister because you knew he needed to debate. Uh, and Marty, there was a card I called uh, in my typical Tony way, I would call it a pork barrel or uh, what was it? What is it when you stick a, an amendment on a bill and you just base pork barrel, pork bar- barreling? Is that it? Pork belly. Pork, pork, I like pork bellies. Uh, yeah, you're I talking about too. the debate cards? Yeah, the, there was a, where you could stick onto the yeah. bill. It yeah. was a special debate card that could help influence a debate. But if it passed, you got some extra bonuses. And if it failed, you took a penalty. Mm-hmm. And, and you had to spend more influence or more, you, you more had to cubes. spend your two action cubes mm-hmm. to do that. But that, you know, that gave you a lot of benefit. And I liked how that was. Oh, and you could use it, and if that bill were then voted on, you would pull that card back. But if it wasn't, if the prime minister said, no, we're not going to vote on this bill, we're going to vote on that one, then you got you were stuck. You couldn't use that card until they went to it later. And when it gets to the prime minister turn, before he takes the turn, what's a, what's a game without a randomness involved? And the random in this, randomness in this game is an event card. And when you're playing as the prime minister, which... You, you and I got to play as prime minister. There's three of us that got to play as prime minister. That event card is a tough decision because you're going to look at it. And it was like uh, two, two of them were like railway disasters in like Ireland and Scotland. And it's like mm-hmm. the prime ministers can say, I'm going to do nothing. And if they do nothing, it hurts their standing with the people, which could uh, hurt eventual elections. Or he can spend cubes to possibly help. But if he spends cubes to negate that bad effect, 
he'll has less cubes to spend on his turn as an action. So those event cards were always really interesting for the PM to have to decide what to do with them. Yes, those were awesome. Jack the Ripper was out. <laughs> That's right, the Jack the Ripper card. Mm-hmm. I forgot about because I, I actually uh, drew that one. Yep. And, and you ignored it, and and the workers, which and this helps you make your decision. The working population, we were already tanked with them. So you said, uh, I'm going to ignore that. What am, what's it going to do? He's going to drive it down any far? No, he can't. So yep. that helps you make those decisions for those events. Okay, it's just a card. But yeah, it brought in that theme. Everything is tied together through the events that are going on during this time in England. Enjoyed the event card. That, that was fun. Every, I enjoyed it all. Let's yes. play it again. Then after the PM takes his action, uh, this is where he picks one of the available bills on the board and says, okay, we're going to vote on it. Uh, he looks at the current marker of the bill. If it's between 320 and 340, he's going to draw what's called an uncertainty card because that's right in that range where it might pass or fail. You flip over the card and it has some modifier on it from zero uh, to minus 11. And, and, and then it goes up from there. So then you add that to the current vote. So let's say it's at 340 and uh, it says minus five. So it goes down to 335. 335 is still greater than 330. Congratulations, the bill passed. Any victory points are awarded at that point as need be. And then you move on for there. But Tony, what's interesting is, is when there's no bills on the board, we potentially could have an election at that point. And that's the part where we kind of had to really walk through it slowly the first mm-hmm. time that we resolved it. Because elections are extremely important because that's when the parties can flip within parliament. Mm-hmm. But before we have an election, you can challenge your leaders. Oh, I didn't mention that. That's very, yes. I'm sorry. Why don't you tell us about that? So challenging. So after the bill, whatever bill passes or fails, then it could be up to the individuals in government. The backbenchers could challenge their leaders. They're not doing a good job. I, it's my turn to now be the leader. So if the prime minister backbencher wants to, and he has enough standing and meets the qualification, he can challenge and become prime minister if he wants. Mm -hmm. Now, standing is just something that you're going to accumulate over the course Mm -hmm. of the game. Standing is good. Standing actually opens up additional action cubes for you to use. And standing can uh, be increased by like the debate cards that you mentioned earlier. It can can drop. For example, if, if a bill fails, the prime minister standing drops, which then gives a prime uh, opportunity for the backbencher, for the government, to say, guess what? I'm now prime minister. But the same thing can happen with the opposition leader and the backbencher in that party, too. Right. And standing is automatic increase for the backbenchers. At the end of their action phase, it automatically goes up. There is a timer on the leaders because of the standing, knowing that they could very well be taken out of power at any time once the standing shifts. So, you know, Marty's over there as he was the opposition leader and he's like, well, are you ever going to do anything? I'm like, "Mm, why? I see positive here. My government is, I'm, I'm going to ride your coattails. I am going to enjoy this victory track point thing without creating any issues. And I'm going to let you falter on your own. (laughs) Which I did, (laughs) which we'll talk about in a second. All right. So then after that, if there's no bills on the board, an election could happen. There is a way the prime minister can stall it one time. Uh, There is a token on the board that says uh, if an election is going to occur, the prime minister says, I'm going to halt the election for at least three more bills, so he could delay it if he wants to. Uh, but if an election occurs, so all that campaigning that everybody's been doing over the rounds, you now go look over the popularity board. 
whoever markers on the board says they kind of have the lead at that point. There's going to be an uncertainty card that's drawn that's, that's going to add to how many seats you lose or gain. And then whoever is in control at that point will then uh, either keep the uh, government or it's going to flip. And you're going based determine on how many seats you got. That's going to reset a section of the board that says how many total seats the government controls, how many are partisans and how many are moderates. And basically the partisans are super biased and the moderates are at least willing to work, you know, across the aisle. Passing partisan bills, we find out was tough, but we'll talk about that uh, later on. So then this massive reset happens. So whoever the opposite, let's say that the opposition wins the election. The opposition leader becomes the PM. The two backbenchers basically swap their positions. And now the opposition is considered the party in charge. Now they're the considered the government. They'll now get to pick their bills from their stack and they control what bills show up on the table. And it's that tension of when is the government going to flip? When is a challenge going to happen for uh, challenging the seat of the PM or the opposition leader that makes this really interesting because Everybody's kind of working together till a certain point that goes, no, it's probably beneficial for me to break apart at this point and challenge you, or even the government back picture can resign. That's how a, a government back picture can say, I don't support the PM anymore. I'm actually going to try to tank your bills. And usually they're going to do that because they want to take over and, and become the prime minister themselves. Now, some things can bring the party back together, all in the rules. Oh, yeah. bring, and then actually, drive- after an election, the pact is reformed. Everybody, hey, we just had an election. Everybody's working great together again. And you do work together for a little bit. So any victory points are awarded are awarded to everybody until the opposition uh, just says, nope, we're done. We're breaking the pact. Mm-hmm. Or if the prime minister picks all bipartisan bills, yes. then that forms the pact. So that's another strategic thing for the prime minister. He has to think, you know, maybe I want to help, you know, inch the um, victory points along to try to get me closer to victory. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting from the standpoint of the, of those decisions to when do you break away? When do you dissolve the pack? How do you want to tank things? I mean, this is all part of the strategy that's going on in this game. Easy to track, easy to understand, but as Marty said, <laughs> well, easy to track. Once we understood how to read the board, it was extremely easy to track. There was a little bit of a learning curve of understanding, okay, when I campaign, How does that affect the popularity? Because there's a differential between the two. After an election, how do we calculate how the uh, the parliament's made up then? Once it was under our belt, oh, it made total sense. And there is, by the way, uh, what's called an alternate voting bill card that you can put on the table or on the board that helps you mathematically determine where the bills stand. I wouldn't play without it. Otherwise, you kind of have to mental math the adds and minuses to the current bill. This will track each bill for you. So you can see exactly where you stand. And so, for example, if I was prime minister and a bill had 350 or more support, it's an automatic pass. So obviously I'm going to pick that one to make sure that it passes because maybe with the other ones, the opposition party has been dry. They've been debating a lot and driving down support and there's no way I can get that to pass. The prime minister does have an option to say, I'm just going to withdraw the bill. We're not voting on it. What that does, it, uh, it does give the opposition a couple of victory points, but it's not nearly as bad as losing a vote. One thing, I, and this pops in, if I don't talk about it, I'll forget it, but there, the, the randomness. I mean, it's not that bad, but there is some, mm-hmm. right? So you have to take that into, and it can, it can ruin your day, 
You just have to be careful with that. But those are some things. But, I, you know, I'm sorry I said it wasn't that hard. For me, it was very easy. Y'all took care of it. The randomness uh, is really going to come up with maybe you're looking for a particular type of bill that's an all bill and not a moderate bill. Mm-hmm. The uncertainty cards are in there. But what I like about the randomness when it comes to a bill, if you got 350 or more, randomness doesn't even come into play. It's an automatic pass. It's only if it's between 320 and 340. So whatever party's in charge can guarantee a pass if they want to spend their action cubes or their supporter cards, if it provides it, to debate up the number Mm -hmm. of people that they're going to support that bill. Right. I mean, like you said, then it's a race to 100. And I will say, let me just tell you how our game ended. Towards the end of the game, I was the prime minister. And there are certain Mm -hmm. spots later in the game where something's going to happen. Number one, when somebody hits the 85-point marker, Prime ministers can no longer delay elections anymore. They can't delay it because you're kind of ending the game. And if he could do that, he could possibly go ahead and win without any challenges or anything. Also, the opposition, their points double on what they get when they do stuff. So there's a slight catch-up mechanic uh, when uh, the 90-point uh, the, the is, is passed with the prime minister. This kicks in like a little catch-up mechanic for the opposition, what I like. So here I am. I'm in the kind of in the driver's seat. And there's a bill that I'm going to pass. It's like, oh, great. Well, I the, I have 340 votes in that bill right now. I could spend a cube and guarantee it passes. But you know what? I'd rather use this cube to maybe get me a supporter card. I can't even remember what I did. I think I maybe went and campaigned. And I mm-hmm. said, all right, awesome. Uh, it tells you the statistics. If you have uh, 340 votes, you have a five out of six chance of passing. Marty happened to draw the one out of six card of the uncertainty deck. They gave him a minus 11 votes that dropped 340 down to 329, which means the bell f- bill failed, which dropped my standing. When we got to the challenge phase, person in my party, Tony, who was the government backbencher, said, you know what? I think I'm going to be prime minister now. You, you screwed up on that bill. I would be prime minister. You grabbed it and you held onto it the rest of the game and won the game. And it was very, very well played. I backed into that one. I did like where you can, what was it? Resign. Resign. Yeah. 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 Resign. And then you split from them. And so now you're, you're opposite of your prime minister. You have resigned from them. And it's like, okay, now you're on your own from, from the standpoint of becoming um, your own party, trying to get your your finish. And and you're tracking your, you're tracking your own victory points at that point. Mm-hmm. If if you if you get victory points, the prime minister doesn't get them now. Right. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, so I'm I'm going to resign next turn anyway because I had the standing, I had the favor, I knew this was going to work to my advantage. I well, at least I thought it would in my mind. And it just so happens everybody's like, okay. And then we cleared the bills and the draw of the deck allowed me to get two bipartisans and one of our party, which were going to be easy to pass because of how the debates were set up. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's see if this works out. Because Bert thought he was going to take the prime minister. He was going to challenge me, but he couldn't because he didn't have enough favor. Y'all matched in standing. The tiebreaker is favor. And like I said, early on, Tony was the only one that had the flattery action flattery, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, where he could drive up favor with the queen and uh, queen Victoria said, uh-uh. Tony, my man, we stand with mm-hmm. Tony. I think she sounded like that too. I, I know she did, and <laughs> it uh, may have maybe a bit lower in pitch, but <laughs> based on the movies I've seen. But okay. yeah, but this brings up another point that when you lose the prime minister, 
and this happened to Mark, happened to you, your standing drops. You are tanked. Yeah. And the person who took the prime minister gets six victory points. It's a good way to jump up and get a lot of victory points is to challenge and actually take that prime minister role. Mm-hmm. And then that person assumes the standing as the prime minister of 11, which kept Bert from being able to secure it because, you know, he, we were tied. So I had the favor and then Mark drives my favor down too late. I got the victory points. So it, it held on to the very end. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't, I don't see how this would be a runaway. I can see that you know, maybe not early in the game, but in like the middle of the game where there might be a lot more interaction and a lot more splitting. If you think you can do that once again, based on the politicians that come out and their capabilities and how well they want to do that. Like mine had a debate power of two, which let me drive uh, my stuff by 60 points. If I used all my prime minister, 20 per each. Yeah. 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 So that's cool too. Every prime, uh, every politician had a level two ability, which made their action better for that. So for example, oh, I did, there's one other action we could have done. Uh, Influences in their action where you can actually change uh, people from moderate to partisan and partisan to moderate. That's the other, I didn't mention that action because that was my ability. I was better at uh, doing, I had a better job of being able to switch partisans and uh, moderates. But anyway, so the, everybody has these level two abilities. Maybe instead of drawing one card when you hobnob, you draw two, keep one, that sort of deal. Mm-hmm. I completely enjoyed the game. Very easy. Once we got through the, the 15, 20 minute teach, yeah, I did watch a few videos and good thing you read the rule book three times. But once again, it's all right there. Easy. It was easy to follow. I really do think that. The player aids were really nice. Once mm-hmm. we understood the rules, the player aids worked perfectly. The player aids referenced the section in the rule book if you ever need to look it up. So GMT always does a good job with their player aids. What I love about this is I don't know what this is. It's not a Ameritrash game. It's not a Euro game. I don't know what you call it, which is why right. I was so intrigued about it and why I liked it so much. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because it's not like- a resource management game at all there you know there are no resources no. it is it is so cleverly done and it's one of those i just wanted a different experience i didn't want to just be collecting cubes and turning in cubes for victory points i wanted something else and prime mm-hmm. minister gave me that which is, i am so glad i bought it and it will be staying on my shelf for sure oh yeah i'm so glad you bought it too it was it was definitely not the gmt game i've originally thought when they were talking about it mm-hmm I was very happy with it. And if you have a good group that enjoy this type of intrigue, the theme, it's there, believe it or not, for the cards. I, in my opinion, it is. And you just sit there and um, enjoy a good afternoon of, of debating whether or not you think kids should go work in the coal mine. <laughs> now, I, I will say this. Uh, people may be going, holy crap, is, it, it's good, is this going to cause problems at the table with different ideologies? No, it's not. Because... Even though this was they, one was called liberals and one called conservative parties, this was liberals and conservatives back in the early 1800s. The ideologies and stuff and stuff that they thought doesn't necessarily match up one to one. You know, if a bill was on one side back then, it may not be that same side today sort of deal. You're not going to end up in some sort of argument with your friends. No. It is historically interesting to read some of the stuff they like there was a copyright bill uh there was one about the vaccinations wasn't there wasn't there about mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. uh getting vaccinations for kids and stuff so it's funny a lot of the stuff that we thought oh that's modern stuff they actually talked about back then too uh which was uh really cool 
So that is Prime Minister from GMT Games from Paul Hellyer. Plays one to four player. There's a whole solo rule for this game, but personally, the fun of this game is sitting around with three other people and playing, Mm -hmm. and that's the way I'll probably only want to play it from now on. Bonus content. We played this game again since we recorded the review, so I want to add a little epilogue. It was Tony and I, two brand new players who easily picked up on the game. And it's just one of those games that once you pick up on the mechanics and the actions and how they affect the state of the game, then it becomes a game of a lot of player actions, a lot of discussion. There was a lot of times we were standing up around the table debating whether bills should pass or not. You work with a person in your party trying to decide, hey, do we still work with the government? Do we still do we want to break away? Is this a good time to do it? But we all know that there can only be one winner. And that's what happened in this state of the game. I was part of the government. I was the backbencher. We got up to around 90 points. I resigned from the government which means I was breaking standing with the current prime minister because I knew that the only way I could win was to possibly take over the prime minister's seat. So I was trying to increase my standing to be able to challenge him. Meanwhile, the opposition party realized they were kind of in a bad situation too and needed to take the government back over. So all of a sudden, what were once enemies were now allied to work together to take down the prime minister. The opposition had been campaigning for a while, knowing an election phase was coming up and they wanted to take the government back over so that one of them would be the prime minister. Everything just works so well together. It's elegant. There's a great flow to the game. And after playing so many games this year of a lot of resource management games and Euro games, a lot of those just become white noise to me. And it's rare that one just really stands out. Last year, the game that stood out to me was John Company. And this year, Prime Minister stands out to me. And even though the Squirrelies are a couple months away, I can almost guarantee that Prime Minister will be in the running for my game of the year for 2023. So recently we were talking about the Game Toppers 4.0 Kickstarter. Did you miss it? Okay, well, guess what? It doesn't matter because right now you can go to the Late Pledge store and still get some great deals on bundles and some of the new products. As of right now, most items will be delivered by February 2024. However, a few items will be delivered April of 2024. But regardless, that means that's just right around the corner. So if it's like, dang it, I wish I had not missed out on the Kickstarter for those game toppers or the mats, etc., the accessories for game toppers, it's not too late. You can head over to GameToppersLLC.com, go to their shop page, and you're going to see a link right there for their late pledge store. So go over there, check it out for new mat styles, the new Young Sherlock children's movable coffee table, and all the other regular game toppers that he has in stock. Again, you can find out more over at GameToppersLLC.com. As you know, rolling dice and taking names. We love card games. We love playing all types of card games. Matter of fact, that's what we cut our teeth on. We're talking Opashaw, Rook. That's right, Rook. We're down here in North Carolina. Rook's a big game that goes on. Hearts, Spades. You put a card game in front of us, we're excited. You want to build on that? You want to change some of the core mechanics of a card game? Hey, We'll take on that challenge. We'll try to understand it. And that's what we got with Ghost of Christmas from Tahiki Shinzawa from BoardGameTables.com. 
which is now called All Play. Which is now called All Play. Got that? Everybody got that? It's got the Christmas theme about it. It's got some ghosts, you know, Charles Dickens thing happening right here. The object, of course, is to take tricks, to score points at the end of every hand and at the end of set number of rounds, depending on the number of players, whoever has the most wins. And you are doing this by bidding on how many tricks you think you're going to take. And you must be exact unless you take a red door, which gives you a little leeway. You can take one more additional trick. You don't have to be exact. But it's worth less points if you do that. That's right. It's it's not worth one point per wreath. I mean, worth two points per wreath. It's only worth one point per wreath. Doors are used to determine at the beginning of the round. What's your, your bid? bid. I'm going to bid three. I can either take... I can take three green doors or take a red door or whatever. whatever it's a it is. cute way. It's a cute way to show what your bids are instead of writing That's them on, on the table. That's, That's it. it. So it's a tr- regular trick taking game, but Tony, it's the twist that we read through the rule. We, you and I tried to simulate a two player game and then we got it out again And it's one of those games that's like, this does not make any sense until you play it. Because as you play the game, the cards that you play that you have to play for uh, playing a hand may not be the card colors will end up winning the trick. Right. So the, the key to this is there is the past, present, and future areas in front of everybody. You have three slots that you can play your cards to. And someone says, hey, I am going to play a purple card to the past. That now sets the past as having to follow purple, the purple suit. You must do that if you have it. So same standard card rules. You must play that there if you have it. Next person goes, if he doesn't play to the past, he plays to the present or to the future. He can then set the suit that must be followed there. Hearts are always Trump. If you can't follow suit, you can play hearts or you can play off suit. If you play cards, you understand these concepts in playing cards of, of, you know, playing off suit, things like that, or winning tricks. After all the errors have been filled by all the you players. Meaning everybody's going to play, play three cards. Right. Three cards. And from a hand of 12. You dealt 12 and you're going to play three each round. One card to past, one card to present, one card to future. Right. So you evaluate the past. If no one has hearts, then Whoever played the color, the highest number of the color in the past, they win the trick. They take the start player or the hat and put it in front of them. Here's the twist. You know what color was set in the present, but the player who has the hat now sets the suit that is the highest suit below Trump, which is hearts. So if there's no hearts and you set, say, oh, I don't know, green suit, the green suit for that. But now the guy who has hat is yellow. He gets it. Not you. Even though you match with what's present. The highest yellow, if there's no other red, gets it. Gets it. So yep. you may have said that for the present, but guess what? You are, it means butkus. It means nothing. And you have to, I'm sorry, Bob Cratchit, go home. Yeah. All right. It, if you really wanted it to be guaranteed to be green, then you should have won the, pra- the past mm-hmm. trick to set the color for the present to be green, to be the high suit. All right. So whoever won that, now we move on. Then that color that they set, if it's not red, that is now the trick taking the the um, suit that is below red as far as, you know, what's the highest trump. And this is where you've got the strategy going on with this game. 
we played around and we went, what? we were all going, I don't understand the strategy. How do I know what to play where or play when? So we played four people. So we played four hands of 12 cards. Mm-hmm. So we got, we did a lot of rounds. By the end, we were kind of figuring it out. It's like, oh, I, I actually want to wait. I, my, my present slot is open and I see Tony's already played something there. Do I want to take this trick with the red card I had, or should I wait to see what other people play in the present? Mm-hmm. And if they've all played their present, then I know exactly whether I can win the trick or not. Or you're you're waiting and nobody plays when you want them to, so then you go ahead and do it, hoping, oh, I'm going to play a blue twelve, right? And it's like, oh, I, I think I've got this, but oh, look over there, I didn't realize it. Mark's out of blue, he trumps it. Or he plays an offsuit color and wins the trick before it to set the suit to for for winning that that trick instead. In the first round that you're playing, in the first hand, you know it's kind of straightforward, unless people are missing certain suits. Like that happened twice to me where I didn't ha- have those suits, and that was interesting. You know, they're like, "Why'd you play Trump? You you don't have that color? No, I don't." There's your card tactics coming in or your card strategies that you're used to of maybe short suiting yourself or something like that. And you 100% will count cards. Oh, yeah. Guarantee you are counting cards, y'all, as it goes through your keeping track of how many 12s have been played, how many blues or greens have been played. You're trying to keep track of all this so you can figure out what's best to. And here's the thing. Remember, when it comes to your turn, let's say the person to my right starts that means one of the other two colors hadn't been set yet. Do I follow the color that he's already set or do I set the color of the other one of the other two myself? And sometimes when you do that, you can have a little bit of advantage. Yeah. For me, it's it reminds me of Opa Shaw from the standpoint of having to get the exact bid. Mm-hmm. And I like some of the strategy, especially in later hands and how you set your cards up as you're playing the various hands to finish out the the round. I think one of those things that I really enjoy about cards is that's causing me to think further out with my cards. I like that. And you for sure can totally set somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can kind of say, well, Tony over there can't afford to take any more tricks. Boom. I'll play a card to make sure he's going to take this one. <laughs> you know, that sort of deal. So that sort of stuff that happens in hearts and spades and old Pasha is totally in this game. The twist is you're literally playing three tricks per round, which mm-hmm. is the odd thing. As opposed to one trick each round, it's three tricks every round. That's right. And then, and you know, there's, there's variants that you can play um, somewhere. You don't have to worry about the bidding so much as getting it right. You get points for every trick you take, which personally, I mean, I understand that for, you know, younger family members, but for your card players, you're not even going to look at that. You you want that type. You want the challenge that in the normal card game gives you. Or you could ramp it up and throw in an extra beyond Mm. past, present, future, and beyond and then you're going to play four cards per round. So then there's four tricks you need to track every round. For me, if you if you need another card game that you want to get out at Christmas, this is something that you may want to consider picking up. Uh, I, I enjoy almost all card games. And this one, I like the fact that you have a different mechanic in setting suits and what has the higher power below the trump. So for me, yeah, this is one that um, it, it would take a lot of explaining for my normal card players, but I think I could get them on board with this. What about you? 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I think if you just read the rules, people's eyes would glaze over. I don't see how this works. Get people to play a couple rounds and then the light bulbs will start going off. For a four-player game, it took 30 to 40 minutes. It's not a quick game um, because you are going to play. The more players, the longer it's going to take. But no, it's a very small box game from all play. I've actually had this game for two years, Tony. Mm-hmm. And I just now pulled it out. So I'm glad I did because I really enjoyed it too. Yeah, good game. So if you can find it out there, go out to Miniature Market, see if it's there, or go out to All Play Games, see if you still got some. That is Ghost of Christmas. It is the early 1300s in Timbuktu, Mali. And we are at the University of Sankor, which is one of the three ancient centers of learning. Tony, we are teachers at this university as we try to bring students to our class. We teach them things such as theology, mathematics, astronomy, and law. And we send them out in the world to use that knowledge. We, in return, are getting prestige. And you and up to four people are sitting around trying to earn the most prestige as we play Sancor from Osprey Games and designers Fabio Lapiano and Mandela Fernandez-Grandin with art by Ian O'Toole. So it took almost 11 years to get to a actually solid intro i like that it's not bad i was thinking about it. i was I was you going uh, through that you were doing that okay <laughs> all right so you shared something squirrel on the facebook we started this in 2012 yes okay just want to make sure yeah my math was working out there see i you know i didn't teach math very well during this university when we were playing oh wait a minute no you excelled at astronomy 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 is where you excel I, I love my stars <laughs> <laughs> I was putting those constellations together. Man, I was having fun. To go over the rules here, I'm going to be honest with you, Marty. I was, I've was, i been thinking about this game, and we're, we are not. I'm, I'm not going to let you go rule by rule because you can't. You can't. You can't. Here's the thing. This was, what, a 30-minute teach? Several mm-hmm. of us read the, read the rule books. Mark actually read a rule book. I was really impressed. I know, and I did the opposite. I didn't, so I, let, I did the Mark. Oh, I took on the Mark so- role. Oh, great, great. So it was a, probably a 30-minute teach, even with the board sitting in front of us. Mm-hmm. There was a lot to try to figure out on how this game works. Because wouldn't you say that this game almost consists of like four little mini games on each of the disciplines? There's an astronomy section of the board, a law section, a mathematics, and a theology. And each of them work a little bit differently. But I would say there's actually five mini games because oh, you're, okay. your own player board is a mini game in itself. Um, as you're advancing your students. That also because mm. you need to be able to advance your students and graduate them. So before we go too much into that, you got really just two actions you're doing on your turn. And it's all centering around getting these students onto your player board, which allow you to then get, bring them into your class to go do the actions on the main board which allow you to get various positions that allow you to get prestige at the end of the game. And you have to tie all that together. And I'm not saying race with other people, but you need to compete with them to get the standings that you want. Because the mind-blowing thing for me in this whole game was how to get the in-game scoring. I didn't see how that would all come. I'll be honest. I completely backed into doing as well as I did. I had no clue, dude. No clue. You didn't back into a victory. You played it well. You saw exactly what was going on. So you mentioned there's two actions. There's actually, 
two of five things that you, you can do. You do two on actions your on your yeah. turn. Yeah. You do two actions on your turn. The most important one is basically teaching a class. Because when you teach a class, you're going to go out to the big board and do something. And each section of the board typically gives you something. You know, for example, we found out, oh, I need salt to pay for things. If I go into the astronomy area of the board, which is moving your camel around in the Sahara Desert, trade is happening there. And we're trading for salt. By spending gold. Right. But okay, then you go, well, how do you get gold? Oh, well, that's when I go do mathematics. And there's a section of the board where if you can put a piece of a wall section there, each of these things you're putting places from your player board out into the main board, you're going to get gold. And it's like, well, you also need books for things. That's where you go to the theology section and you can place mosques. When you do, you get a book from that area. And then there's a whole law area, which you can embellish each of your actions and make them more powerful so that when you take a certain action, you get some bonus actions also. Which can either be using the gold, the salt, or even books. To pay for to get those tiles, yes. All comes down to is in order to teach, you have to have these students on your board that you're advancing up through the classes that match the main board. When we first put it out, and we'll talk about putting it out on the Woo. table. Woo. <laughs> mm. It was it was one of those things like, and you made this statement, and I followed your advice, was you can't do everything here. But there was a lot of planning ahead. And so, and, and there were a lot of things, I, I don't know, what, what mechanic is this? It's not really worker placement, but you're no. right. I mean, it was, I don't know what to say this is. Well, there's a little bit of resource management, obviously, because you got to get the resources in order to be able to do certain things. I'm actually going to look at Board Game Geek and see how they classify it, see what right. terms that they use. Because it, it's, it was very interesting in how all the sub games were all different ways of using your resources and what you needed to do. It's a lot of mechanisms they list in here because <laughs> I guess they, they do list worker placement. I guess the worker placement is placing your students and your classes. Yeah. Or the buildings that you put on the board mm. allow you to do something at that section. They mentioned tech trees and tech tracks, which is true mm -hmm. because for each of your disciplines of the four classes we talked about, each of those disciplines puts something on the board. So for example, like I mentioned, when you go to theology, you're putting one of your mosques on the board, or when you go to the math section, you're putting a wall on the board. And as you put those on the board, you actually have better knowledge in that discipline because when you want to go to a certain area of your board you need to have an X amount of knowledge to go to certain areas. And as the game goes on, your students get smarter, allowing them to do some more advanced actions. So there's a student queue. And one of the actions yeah. on your turn is each one of the disciplines, you can go grab one of the students from that queue that are randomly placed at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's four different colors of students, each representing the disciplines. A student can go to any class, but one of the things you want to plan for is if one of the classes on your board say is theology, if you can have a theology student attend the class, there's a bonus that they get by doing that. So you actually want the same color student to attend the same color class for an extra bonus. Right. So that action of taking a student off the one of the four areas, that's, that's a real simple one. It seems kind of like a waste, but you have to have it and you have to think ahead of the colors in the classes that you're going to teach because as you're moving them up, you can sacrifice getting that bonus just by attending that class. And that may seem like a waste of turn, but 
maybe it's building up to another class that you have sitting up in the tech tree, which you can get by turning in a book. You can pay a book to get an advanced level class and there's minimal spots because it's a pyramid in your player Mm -hmm. board. So let's talk about something we like or I liked about the game. So whenever you're going to the main board, you're having to look at the strength of how many pieces you have out on the board. There's as you remove them, you get strength in that. Let's say, let's just use theology. So I've, I've put a couple mosques out. My strength is now two based on how many students have been removed to the queue. I add that strength to it, right? From the theology queue. From the theology queue. Yes. And so I'm sitting there, I'm removing that, and that allows me to place my mosque in the theology area. And I may mm-hmm. have additional strength elsewhere that could be from the class or or something. There's other ways to add additional strength to it. Yeah. Typically, that's when, if you have a matching student in the class, lots of the advanced classes bonus on the strength, like a plus two on the strength. So that's how you're getting the piece on the board is looking at those strengths. So as you're playing and you're taking those students to help you do a teach in the next round, you are actually helping someone else because you're, you're giving them more strength. I really liked how much planning had to go into that. Even for a player's turn that may seem excessive, you really need to think about that because, hey, Marty's after me. And it looks like he's dealing in this track, but I really need the student of that color that's sitting in that queue. But if I take that, that's going to make his action a lot easier. And mm-hmm. I like that. I enjoyed that about this game. And lots of times the actions were dictated because of that. Let's say, for example, I needed salt and I wanted to travel in the astronomy area, but the strength of my, or the knowledge, we're saying strength, but then the book is called knowledge. The knowledge amount of that student isn't high enough, but maybe you or somebody before me took one of the students from that queue and all of a sudden, boom, between the knowledge that I got and now the bonus strength of, or the Mm -hmm. bonus knowledge that comes from that queue, I can now do this thing that I couldn't do before. And it's one of the, and like you said, you got to be conscious of that because by you claiming a student from a queue, you're actually helping everybody sitting at the table because that strength anybody can use. Right. And so th- that was one thing. Knowledge. I, now you no. got me saying streak. <laughs> well, it, it, it was knowledge. And yeah, that's where, you know, you talk about theme. Yeah. Bring the blur of the theme in, all that stuff. And to me, I, I, I yeah, you're right. I shouldn't use strength. I should use the knowledge to stay within the theme of the game. Well, but, it's, it's, if somebody plays the game, they're not going to see the word strength. strength they're going right. to see the word knowledge. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that part about the game. Did, was there yep. something about the game that you really liked? I actually liked how each of the different areas were their own little things. I liked how in the astronomy, you're moving a camel along a path uh, through the desert. I liked in law where you place a crown from your board in order to grab a little action tile that might be applied to maybe the astronomy discipline. So the next time I activate my astronomy action, not only do I get to take the regular astronomy action, any tiles I've placed there, I also get to activate, which may give you a little a little bonus. Like, for example, of moving your favor tile up on the track. We had not mentioned what a favor is, but there one of the actions you can do is claim a favor. And as you move higher on the favor track, it allows you to take some additional bonuses. You could take anything below your favor marker and anything to the left of it. And the higher it goes, just the more options it gives you. But when you take a favor, you're actually covering up a spot on your player board where you collect prestige. And that right there is what everybody wants because at the end of the game, that prestige 
might, and I say might, be worth victory points because they may not be. Because in a second, we'll talk about how victory points are actually determined, which is one thing I actually really like about this game. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just go ahead and do that. Okay. Because it kind of bled, uh, bled over me. It kind of just washed over me when we were talking about the end of the game and the scoring. Mm-hmm. So this prestige, at the end of the game, how do I know what prestige is important? What is determining that? All right. So there's another little sideboard beside the main board. It's the library. So how many boards are we up to now? We got a main board, four player. Each person has two boards in front of them. If you have four players, that's eight. See, I taught mathematics. Plus the yep. main board, that's nine. Plus another board. So we're at 10 <laughs> boards. <laughs> that's, I'm glad you brought the big mat. <laughs> yeah. I was going, and the game topper big mat was very beneficial. Thank you, Berkey. <laughs> it was. I'm like, do we really need the big one? Once we laid this bad boy out, we used every inch of that. Big one. <laughs> I mean, this this was a table at Qdobas where we're meeting now. It seats ten people. We had that bad boy covered. Yeah, we did. I, we, y- y'all to see the looks we get at Qdoba <laughs> when we're playing, and it is so hard, y'all. When somebody says, "So what game is this?" and we all look at each other, how do you explain this? <laughs> what's what's the easy? I mean, when we were doing nuclear, I mean, it was real simple. You you're controlling power and, and you're making nuclear power yes. and, and you people just moved on. This one is, Oh, you're teachers and you're, and you're doing these. No, we just gave up on it. We just said, yeah, yeah, just move along. You don't, don't, don't even bother. Imagine monopoly, but a lot harder. And then that, that tend that tended to work. All right. So there's this board, this library board and it has three rows on it. I mentioned one of the resources is books. The three main resources in this game are books, salt and gold. When you spend a book for an action, and several places on the board require the spending of a book. You can put it on any one of the three rows in the library. So at the end of the game, what you're going to do is you're going to look at each row of the library. And whichever color book is the majority in that row is going to make the prestige of the same color, the prestige token, worth two points. The second most in that row is going to make the prestige token of that color only one point. Every row is going to be evaluated that way. So there are four main colors. If, for example, and this kind of happened to Bert, and you mentioned this, Tony, Bert was collecting a lot of prestige tokens throughout the game. Mm -hmm. You said, well, we just got to make sure that orange doesn't have a majority in any row, and that hurts his scoring, which is what happened. He only got like, maybe it was a one point per prestige, because I think orange came in third in the third row of the library. But you, my friend who was over there collecting blue prestige over the course of the game, you kept putting out blue books and was able to get a majority in one row so that every one of your prestige was worth two. And I think in another one, it was either worth two or worth one. So those blue tokens were the astronomy tokens were worth a lot of points, right? You're having to watch this 10th board and you're having to see which books people are putting there, which may drive your decision on how to get those prestige. Yeah, yeah, it's not only prestige on the main board, but there's also prestige for when you graduate a student, which you, when you graduate a student from a various level, you may take that color that you're graduating and place that that's worth prestige. There may be other prestige tokens out there that happen. So prestige is coming from everywhere. So you got to watch that. So you're watching not only that is, okay, how can I put certain books out to swing the prestige? That's one of the things you got to deal with. All right. And the other thing that's very interesting from the prestige is how do you collect the prestige on the main 
board. Now, that's at the end of after a student has been taken, all the students in a queue have been taken. You do this majority thing the second time or the first time you, you get these books that you can store and that you use later to, like we said, buy things. And then the second time you get prestige by looking at majority. So that adds in another element of this game, area majority. Every one of the four sections of the board, law, theology, astronomy, and math, is broken up into sub-four sections, A, B, C, and D. And when a student is pulled off a queue of one of the areas of discipline, it may trigger a scoring uh, or a majority scoring at that point. The first one you said is books. So let's say it's math. You look in the math section. A, B, C, and D, whoever has the most colors or there's pieces in each area gets gets the random book that was assigned there at the beginning of the game. And then when the queue's empty, that's going to trigger the prestige majority. So you evaluate A, B, C, and D again, and whosoever player color is the most to each area, they get the prestige that was put there at the beginning of the game. One thing I think that's really unique to Tony is you notice there's no victory point track on any of these 10 boards Mm-mm. because you don't collect any victory points mid-game. It is strictly at the very end of the game, and you calculate victory points pretty darn quick. It literally is assigning values to each of the colors based mm-hmm. on the majorities in the library. Do some quick multipl- multiplication of your pieces, and the scoring is done. So scoring is quick and easy, which I like. Yes, I, I like that too. That was one of the things that I wasn't really grasping. I did. I really looked into this, but it was the books and then the area, and I found it where something you need to look out for because that's how you compete against people is, hey, wait, Marty is really in this one town over in theology, but Tony's the only one in this other town. I need to take advantage of that by teaching and going to that town so that you're, I can, You're saying town. What do you mean town? The, well, cities. There were In the theology, it was based on cities, wasn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Because the astronomy is a map and there's different right. locations in the theology. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's go into that about the board. So astrology <laughs> was regions, A, B, C, and D. Theology was towns, A, B, C, or D. Math was wall sections, A, B, C, or D. Law was disciplines, disciplines, ABC and D. Uh, yep. Yeah, the, the, it was the four disciplines that you're already using. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Can let's explain see? these rules after we no. get all that. Yeah. So here's the thing. So you see, this is a pretty heavy game. This is a, a game that will take a little bit of time to get into. The box says two to three hours. We finished our, the first play of this that we did was two hours and 45 minutes, which I didn't think was too bad. No. Uh, which means in, in the next play, it's going to two two fifteen or something like that. So it's, once you get the flow, is there any AP possibly? Because I did find that sometimes somebody will take an action that really screws you up. Mm-hmm. Let's say you, I had planned to go to one of those little towns out on the mosque, one of the mosque towns. And Bert, who was right before me, did it. Ah, crap. Now I got to kind of rethink my turn. So there could be a little downtime if, if somebody thwarts what you had planned to do. Trash you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you, talk, you talked about planning ahead. That was the tough part for me because some of the areas on the board required to have two students mm-hmm. below a class tile. It's called supported. That's what the term is. And so you had to work to move a student up this little tree, the pyramid that you referred to earlier, there's introductory classes, level one, level two, level three. 
And some of the higher advanced actions on the board require to have two students below that class tile before you activate it. So you kind of have to work a student up. Now, there are things that you can do to move a student up or horizontal by taking a favor or the special abilities that you can get to shift students around on your tech tree board. So once again, you may say, well, I really need to do support. So I'm going to move this student over, even though I'm going to give up having the capability of getting the bonus from that tile by it not matching. Yep. To your point, once again, you said, don't try to concentrate in them all. And I didn't, I concentrated on theology and I also did the exploring. And those were the only two classes that I really wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. I, I had math, only one math tile, and I think that helped. I have a question. So how did you get gold? Because gold was kind of the thing that you got from the doing the math stuff. I had one math tile at the very bottom, and I brought everybody up through it. Look at you. See, you did think about this. I knew that if I this was, I only needed gold to go through there. And then I also have, oh, guess what, y'all? You get four objective cards at the beginning of the game that can help drive you. So that helped reduce some of my need for gold. And when did you need uh, gold? When you needed salt. Yep. For when the did theology. You need salt? For theology. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay, on this board, there is a circle that shows how you get these resources that we kept referring to. Brilliant, Osprey. Brilliant having that on there. Yeah. It's almost like, imagine like a rock, paper, scissors type mm -hmm. circle. It says, this gives you this, this gives you this, this gives you this sort of deal. And it points to the areas of the board you need to go. Really useful at the beginning of the game. And you also have a wild card resource, which is a candle. It's an inspiration token. You can spend it in order to take uh, a little extra action, a bonus action. I thought the symbol on it was a candle. It is. It's an inspiration token. It's called an inspiration token. I understand There's what a it's candle. called. It's a candle. How is a candle inspirational? I don't know. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's a candle on a little disc. It's called an inspiration token. Yeah, you spend that, you can, which gives you the ability to move your pupils around or get a book, which, you know, and resources, you just can't collect them. They are limited on your player board. So keep that in mind. So I think overall, I mean, you know, this game, and I'm going to wrap it up for me. There yep. were a lot of things I liked about it. There was a lot mm -hmm. of interesting things. A few things I did not like. Number one was the AP on player's turn because we had a lot of sidebar conversations going on. You really could not, you could plan a little bit as long as someone didn't really mesh up your plans too much. But I found that there was a lot of downtime in player turns. And I think the more you plays you get to this, the quicker it will go. But I think you will then sacrifice some of the strategy behind it. And I, I think there's a, there's a teeter totter, a balance, a scale like that's on the board, a scale of time versus actions. You know, you don't want to rush through too much of it. But some of your turns were very quick because I'm going to take a student and with that student, I'm going to go teach a class. Okay, that's, those were the two main actions you were doing here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things I disliked. Uh, before we get to our big dislike, what was uh, one of the things you disliked? I think this game is brilliantly designed. I can't, Amazing. Yeah. I can't understand how somebody sits and designs all these things that work so well together. But for me, it's almost a little too much. I handled it and I was enjoying it and stuff like that. But I almost wish the complexity was dropped just a, a teeny bit because there is so many interlocking parts. And I think it's one of those brilliant puzzles that you just play over and over again to try to solve. 
And I just don't know because of the length of the time of play and everything like that, that I'll ever get to that point to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you have other games in your collection that you would put out on the table. Now, I did one thing that was said that, you know, I, on the recall of being able to play this a game, I would almost not argue, but I would say, you know, remembering how to play this game, once you give me that player card, that's the sign of a um, post-it note. I could remember that. I mean, it was real simple. What the actions that I could take, it's putting it all back together for strategy. Mm. I would see what I needed to do, but how's my strategy going to be? So that, that I think is the challenge. Now for the big takeaway. The setup, y'all, 30 minute setup, something like that. And I came, everything was punched. Everything was sorted and prepared to go. The thing is, though, there are so many things placed on the board and everything's placed randomly. So you can't have it pre-done. There is a cloth bag that comes with the game. You know, typically, <laughs> okay, okay, hold on. Yeah. Keep going. Go, yeah. The cloth, go ahead. Go with the cloth bag. I, it's well, just making well, me I was going to say, you know, typically when you eat a cloth bag, the purpose of it is, is because you're putting stuff into a bag and drawing from it during the game. This cloth bag is strictly used for setup. And it's used like four or five times. I appreciated them including that. I really do appreciate it included. But literally, it was like, okay, put all the uh, books into the cloth bag, randomly draw some out, seed the board, take the rest of the books, do this with them. Okay, empty, empty the bag, put them over here. Okay, now take all the prestige tokens, put them in a bag, put the seed the board with those, take out the remaining prestige tokens, do something with them. Okay, now put this into the bag, pull this, and we're doing that over and over. And it's a big board, and there's a lot of little pieces that've got to go on the board before you can even start playing the game. Not even including your own player board, Mm -hmm. where you have to stack all these four different types of pieces on all over the place of the board so that you can pull them off the board as you play the game. Uh, And I think we could get set up down to maybe 20 minutes Uh because we could divide it up because we had to go find the places on the board. So our 30 to 45 minutes was, okay, where is this? Where is this located? But I think if you get it to the table a lot, somebody could be pulling real fast and someone could be placing real fast. So I think you could get it down to like 15, 20 minutes. It was a fun exercise getting this thing set up. There's 32 steps for the setup, if that helps. It's a process. Let's just be honest. It is a process and they detail it out. And it's very, it wants, hey, do this, do this, do that, do that. And once you find it all. Yep. So that may, that may keep it off the table. Hey, we got two hours to play a game. Well, let's put this, well, you know, there's 20 minutes of setup, 20 to 30 minutes. Of, so now we have, so we, we don't have time for it. Oh, okay. Well then, then throw this on here. So keep that in mind. Yeah. This is one of those games that falls in a weird spot for me. If somebody says, Marty, do you want to play Sandcore? I've already got it set up and ready to go. I'm going to sit down and go, yes, but now I need a quick refresher because I've forgotten everything. But once I get to the refresher, I would do it. What is going to be hard for us with our player group and our situation each week is for me to bring this out and put it and say we're going to play it. The reason why we got to play it on game night, Tony, is because one of our players, Mark, was off work that day and was actually, we were all able to get there an hour earlier, Mm -hmm. which means we could get this game to the table. On typical game nights, we would not have time for this game. Yes. When it comes to set up, play, put away. But overall, if you enjoy a very strategic, uh, I won't say incredibly heavy, but it's it's definitely more than medium. Yeah. So let me ask you this. We just covered Nucleum recently. Which do you consider heavier? This one. Okay. I agree. Me too. I think there's more strategy to it. I mean, Nucleum's pretty, pretty intense, but this one... 
the tracking of the the various people, making sure you're you've got the right prestige going based on how the books are going out and being able to swing that to your favor. There is a lot of steps ahead. Now in Nucleum, we said you had to do a lot of planning ahead as well. Same things going on here, but I, I think Nucleum is lighter than this. I also agree. Now, I'm a big fan of this designer. He did Kalimala, which I really, really like. I enjoyed that one. I'm glad to see a reprint of that's coming out from Alicat Games. I think it's going to look great. Ragusa that he did was my game of the year. I know you were not a fan of that one, but I really liked that one. And we played Merv. Uh, this, uh, he also did Merv that was also from Osprey Games uh, that we played a couple years ago, too. So... This is probably the heaviest of those four, I would think. Right. And I mean, as far as Osprey Games, so you know the production's there. And Eno Tool Design and Art it just looks incredible on the table. So production is top notch. This game, I think, is MSRP in the $90 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it worth it. High, well, that's high. But I did see on Miniature Market, it could be pre-ordered for 63 Jump on it, people, if you're this interested. That's a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good deal. But remember, if you're going to play this game, what do you think? Would 3 be as fun? Would you play with three? Personally, no. I don't think it is because I think the competition for the majority would kind of shift. I don't know what you change in three to from four to three on the boards. I know you, you have more spaces for prestige that can go on your player board. It looks like in the two and three player games, there are different student cue tiles that are put on the board. So it's probably less students that are put out to trigger mm-hmm. The majority scoring. I think it would work, but I think if four was more just from the um, banter that was going on mm. and the competition and the race to get to certain areas. So no, I enjoy my time with it. Oh, it's yeah. one of those that the more I thought about it, the more I really appreciate how well it's designed. But you just got to decide it's for you. Do I, you know, is this four player game that's going to take a little bit of setup and a, definitely a good teach. Hopefully if all y'all can read the rule book, that'll really help. Uh, get along, but that's, it's going to be a personal preference, I really think. I think so too. But it's if you if you enjoy the Osprey style games like this or the designer, definitely give this a look. This is Sancor from Osprey Games coming out soon. Tony, did you see the message on our Discord channel about how uh, an email went out from Miniature Market saying, "Hey, psst, you know, because you're on our email list, you get these special deals." Some of those were. Really, really, really good. <laughs> yes, they were. And I got that too. But I mean, hey, you're part of our secret group. Yeah, right. I, I, hey, I'll take it with a grain of salt. But I did see where Catherine was on sale for $10, a game that you and I both did like. Yes, a $40 game on sale for just 10 bucks. I actually saw too, this wasn't a sale or anything, but they finally have Lorcana. Booster boxes back in, like the most recent expansion, Rise of the Floodborne. The price is $155, which is now honestly right in line with what you can get those uh, booster boxes for. So that's not, you know, elevator or anything like that. But I just think it's really cool. Every once in a while, they'll just drop an email. Hey, Click on this link and you can go out here and see some special deals going on, which is why you want to make sure to get on their email list. And you could do that at miniaturemarket.com. But we also have, don't forget, we have our affiliate link, which you'll find on our website and uh, in the link to all the show notes. If you ever click on the Miniature Market link, it is our affiliate link so that they can know, hey, you got this from RDTN. Thanks for visiting. But uh, yeah, the holidays may be over. Maybe you didn't get what you want. And if you didn't, go see if they have it over at miniaturemarket.com. All right, you play any video games over the holidays. You had a little bit of a break. You didn't get any new board games to play, so did you uh, play any new video games or anything? I started that fantasy 
what is it? Final Fantasy 16. You let me borrow. Started that. Haven't haven't cranked it back up in a while because all the people. Okay, in the house. weeks ago you started it. You haven't moved beyond the prologue. No, I'll get there. <sighs> I'll get up to the video game room and play. I mean. It's real simple, like I said, to always walk in on the computer and play something for 10 minutes and then go about my normal business. The PlayStation requires me to go upstairs, sit down with the controller, <laughs> turn it all on, you know, load up the game, hit the play button. Oh, crap, that controller's, you know, got to get it charged, all that good stuff. I mean, I even have my Switch sitting here next to my computer, and all I got to do is hit a button, and I can swap over to the Switch. Don't even do that. I, what? I just don't know why why that is. What about you? What'd you? I know you played something. So I've been playing a little bit. So I finished up Super Mario RPG, trying to decide what I want to get to next. I know I'm very interested in Sea of Stars, uh, which is a, an RPG that a lot of people really enjoyed. It's about a 30 to 40 hour game. I kind of want to decide if I want to play something shorter. I did on Steam check out a, a game called Against the Storm, which is a city building game like Sim City, except that it's roguelike. So it's a fantasy based Sim City style game, but Eventually, you'll lose as you try to build out your city as fast as you can. But as you play, the longer you play, you unlock things. So the next time you make a run, you have more access or better abilities to make your run longer every time. So it's a really cool twist on a city building type game. It was on sale on Steam for dirt cheap. And I've just been enjoying kind of cranking up and uh, playing it. So if you like city building games, Against the Storm uh, is out right now. It's really good. Did you download any of the um, Epic or definitely get them for free? Like the Fallout series? I did that one. I did not. Okay. I did not. I should have, but I did not. And there's a big eShop sale going on right now. And there's two games I'm probably going to get. One is Dredge, which everybody's been talking about, a fishing game. <laughs> I don't understand how it's so great, but it's like a 12-hour fishing game that everybody just loves. I think it was nominated for like Independent Game of the Year or something like that. Uh, that and Tokyo Phantom, Ghost Phantom, oh, what is it? Ghost Trick Phant... Ah, crap. It's a Capcom game of a Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. It came out on the DS, mm -hmm. which is like a detective-style game, also a short game. And it's on sale also on the eShop. So I'm probably going to pick up one of those, both of those and play one of those real quick. Okay. Because I, I, I hadn't cranked up Epic and then Sunwall steps in and says, hey, man, you really need to Fallout 3 is on um, Epic for free. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I cranked up Epic. So I'm like, man, I didn't realize how many games I have on Epic, you know, that I've gotten over free, like Tomb Raider, um, Fallout, Fallout 3, Fallout 2, Lego's Builder's Journey. The Outer Worlds, uh, and then they had another one. I'm I'm kind of interested. Have you ever played the Human Resource Machine? I have not. Okay, it's some type of puzzling game where you're responsible for the the workers to complete tasks. I, I'm I think I probably will crank that one up because it just looks like a quick one of those quick puzzle solver things. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, yeah. But other than that, nope didn't do didn't do a lot, man. I do want to make another shout out. So we know we talk about our gaming chairs that we really enjoy. E Win Racing chairs uh tony and i have a couple of chairs we love them some people on our discord channel got them as gifts oh they uh, did for the kids over over christmas so hopefully uh, they really enjoy those but over the holidays my um son and his wife were here and we were watching elf or movies stuff like that we didn't have enough chairs for everybody to sit <laughs> around because they brought a dog we had a dog and the dog's like sitting on the regardless anyway so i rolled in my gaming chair from the office uh, into the main area and Vanessa sat in it. She was like 
this chair's amazing. <laughs> I went, yes, it is. She said, it's so comfortable. I went, yes, it is. That's how I could sit in my office for hours playing games and recording and stuff like that because I never get tired of sitting here. So she fell in love uh, with the chair. So I thought that was kind of funny. It is kind of funny. And I noticed they've branched out too. My wife was talking to me about the Aldi's ad or local, you know, everybody's probably got an Aldi's in there and they've got all that health stuff. She goes, look, there's a massage gun for 40 some dollars on Aldi's. And I go, yeah, you'll probably use it a couple of times, but that's about it. You know, if, you know just saying, but I noticed they got one of those too. So if you're over at Ewin, you could get you an, a massage gun. One of those massagers that can sit there and really dig into the uh, muscles, relax them a little bit, then climb into that cushy chair and just take you a good old nap. You know what they need is the massager built into the chair. Wait, you just wait for 2024. I bet. I, yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. A chair with a built-in massager. It would sell like hotcakes. I think they need a little, like a heater during the winter or maybe a little fan <laughs> blowing. Who knows? That may be coming too. Look, if you never checked them out, you can go into ewinracing.com. Click on the link in our show notes here for our affiliate link to go over there. And if you're ever interested in a chair, you can always get 30% off. Yes, that's right. 30% off any of their chairs using code RDTN. It's the maximum discount code they give. I've seen other people post their codes giving 25%, et cetera, but we are at 30%. Use our code. If there's one on sale... You get the sale price, throw in our code, you're going to get 30% off that. So it's a great deal. EWINRacing.com, desk, chairs, and now massagers. And with that, we're going to say keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to buymeamoonpie.com. We'd appreciate your one-time donation or continuing donation to help support the show in 2024. Follow us on social media at Dyson Names. Join our Discord channel and make sure to check out our website for affiliate links for all of our sponsors. Marty, for this new year, let's make a resolution. Resolution. Lord. Is it resolution? Yeah, New Year's resolution. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, not to make mistakes anymore while recording a podcast. And that'll never happen. That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs>